allow you to pull out your Bibles. It's 1 Thessalonians 5 we're going to. So that's 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. And it says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. All right, well, if you have not opened up your Bibles yet, will you please do that? And you should find it pretty easily in the Word of God. There's one, a Bible right in front of you if you did not bring yours. Hey, by the way, let's all get in the habit of bringing our Bibles to church and uh, get in the habit if you're comfortable with that and marking them up and underlining them and putting notes in them. I love a marked up Bible and I've seen even kids have a marked up Bible, and it is thrilling for a pastor to see that. So I would encourage you, bring your Bibles to church. And uh, I am, we are, we are actually in the part of the year that is my absolute favorite time. I love Thanksgiving. I always have. I don't know what it is. Well, I think I do know what it is, but uh, I love this time of the year. I hope you do too, but I also know that this time of the year could be the hardest for some people. It could be the most difficult for some people. And so what I want to do today is let the word of God really encourage us. We're going to learn what the will of God is, not only for each of us individually who are Christians, but what the will of God is for our church. Remember, the Apostle Paul wrote this letter, 1 Thessalonians, to a church. He's speaking, how do you have a church that is rejoicing? How do you have a church that prays continually? And how do you be and have a church that gives thanks in all circumstances? That's what we're going to learn. Well, this coming week for Thanksgiving, all over the world, or at least in America, the meal's prayer is going to go something like this. I'll quote a typical prayer for Thanksgiving Day. Lord, thank you for this food and bless it for the nourishing of our bodies. Amen. And maybe you're going to say, well, that's kind of how I pray. I mean, I might say a few more words, but I ask God to bless this food. Well, you know that Jewish people are taught to pray like this, and I will quote what they're taught to pray. Blessed are you, Lord, our God, King of the world, who has caused bread to come forth out of the earth. Now, I don't know if you notice the difference there. Instead of asking God to bless the food and drink, you know, like he's going to magically change their properties. Well, he's not. The Jewish people blessed the God who generously gave them food and drink. In fact, the first prayer is aimed at ourselves. Bless this food for our bodies. While the second prayer, the Jewish prayer, is aimed toward God and thankfulness and gratitude. And this difference is really important. You see, thankfulness to God is not natural in humanity for everyone is infected with a selfish nature. I was just driving on College Hill just two days ago and there was a young lady waiting to cross the street and I stopped for her and she was irritable at the other traffic coming the other direction and passed and didn't even wave and say thanks. And you know what? That's pretty typical. I hope that's not the Christian. If anybody does anything kind for you, I hope you say something to them. I hope you express thankfulness to them, but it's not natural. And most people 
are not good at saying thanks, or at least not good at having a thankful attitude. Let me give you an example. Now, I want you to imagine if you were on death row to be electrocuted in the chair. Okay, I want you to imagine that for a moment. And I want you to know about Samuel Leibowitz. He was a criminal lawyer and he was a judge and he saved 78 men, true story, 78 men from the electric chair. And you know what? He reported at the end of his, at the end of his life, not one single one of those 78 people said thank you. But we who have been forgiven, and I'm talking about Christians, we who have been forgiven our sins by God should be full of gratitude. And in fact, thankfulness is how God wants us to live. So let me read again the word of God for us. It goes like this. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. All right, now we're going to unpack this. I've got three points for you, but here, I'm going to say this really audacious statement. You ready? Everybody listen. I know without doubt what God's will is for you, and I know without doubt what God's will is for me. And I'm going to show you that very, very clearly over the next 30 minutes. So I'm going to ask you, number one, check your phones, make sure they're off, that they're on silent. So that you can pay attention, well, yes, to me, but more importantly, to what God is clearly going to say to us from his word. Here is number one, and not in any order of priority, it's just the first point. God commands us to rejoice always. God commands us to rejoice always. Now, let's think about this. Let's be a thinking church. Rejoicing is not hard to do when your life is going well, when you have a really good day, when things just go your way. But when your life is not going well, when you're going through terribly difficult times, rejoicing is very, very difficult. And I'm sure that most of us, if you really try right now, in fact, I'm gonna ask you to do it, I want you to think, whether you're young or old, I want you to think of a time when your heart seemed incapable of anything but sorrow, despair, or hopelessness. And then I want to tell you that I know God's will is that even in those times, he wants you to rejoice always. In fact, these three are commands. Now, let me reflect on that for a moment. Everybody look at me for a moment. God is giving us three imperatives in the Greek language. That means three commands. These are not options. These are not if you feel like it, like our wonderful skit portrayed in the beginning. These are commands. God says, if you want my blessings in your life, if you want the fullness of joy and peace and satisfaction that I long to give you, then here is how you must live and I will give you the grace and the help and the power to live that way. We're going to see that at the end. So these are commands. But I want to let you know something. God is not telling you and he's not telling me, put a happy face over your struggling heart. Fake it until you make it. That's not what he wants. He wants authenticity. 
So let's dig into what it really means to rejoice. Let me take you back 700-something years, all the way to the 1300s. The word rejoice meant to, this is so important, it meant to enjoy the possession of something. Enjoy the possession of something. I'll give you two examples, like a house or land. More examples would be a spouse, children, family, friends. But it means to, it meant to enjoy the possession of something, enjoy something that is yours. And then we can learn, well, have you ever met anybody whose name is Joyce? A lady whose name is Joyce. Her name, by the way, means joy. But when you put the R-E prefix, rejoice, it means to be joyful again. So what we're learning to do to rejoice always is to continually be joyful again because there's something that we possess as Christians. Well, let me give you a little bit of a technical definition. I'm going to dig a little bit deeper. Rejoice always is not really a feeling of happiness. It's an attitude or a mindset of joy. It's a state of being, not really an emotion. It's a choice rather than a reaction. So to rejoice is to do something that is often right in the face of something very difficult going on in your life. You can do this by the grace of God, and you're commanded to do this, as am I. So where joy or rejoicing is unique for the church, it's different from the world. Rejoicing always is connected to the works and the character of God. Now, I'm going to teach you how to rejoice always from the Scripture. When you help somebody who is struggling, reconnect to what God is doing in that struggling person's life in his perfect character, in his goodness, then all of a sudden you are unlocking that person's heart to rejoice, to again have joy because they are possessing what is theirs. And what, what is theirs? It's a relationship with God who will never fail them or forsake them. Let me give you a couple of examples from the Bible, and then I'm going to drill just a little bit deeper, okay? Here's some Bible examples, Psalm 118, verse 24. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. So this day, now everybody, think about your day today. Think about all of what's happened so far today. This is the day that God has made for you. And you can rejoice and be glad in it, even if it did not really go that well for you. Because rejoicing is a choice, not an emotion. And in both examples, well, let me give you the second one, and then I'll tell you that. The disciples of Jesus one time, Jesus said, okay, I'm going to send 72 of you out, and I'm going to send you in pairs, and you're going to go minister in all the little towns and all the cities along the way, and then I want you to come back, and we'll meet over here. And they came back, and they came back with joy, Luke 10 says. They said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Now watch this, because now you're going to see what rejoicing is. Jesus said to them, do not rejoice in that, 
that the spirits are subject to you. I mean, that's pretty cool and that's awesome because that's God breaking into this world. His kingdom is, is emerging into this world and the power of God is being demonstrated and people are being free. That's really, really good. But don't rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you. Now watch this. But rejoice that your names are written in heaven. What's the joy? The joy is what they possess. And what they possess is their names were already written in heaven. And Christian, your name is already written in heaven. So every single day of your life, when you reflect back that your name is written in heaven, God knows you personally. You cannot lose your salvation. That gives you the power and the motivation to rejoice. You see, joy is based on the reality of God's character and his promises. Only when circumstances connect you back to God's character and you think on that can you truly rejoice. Now, did you hear what I just said? Let me, let me reiterate it in some different words. To rejoice is to bring back to your mind, means to think about it again, and possess again the truth of the character of God. It's the persuaded mind that knows that God is utterly sovereign and always good to us. And let me tell you what I have discovered in my life as being the greatest source of peace that I have ever had. No matter what happens in my life, and sometimes some pretty difficult things happen, here's where I've learned to go back. Nothing, nothing can come into my life but through the permissive hands of God. Nothing. Christian, that is equally true for you. And if, here's the second one, if God allows it into my life, it is absolutely for my highest good. And without it, it will be less than good. Even the difficult parts. Now, if you can hold on to that, if you can possess that, if you can believe that, if you can be persuaded to that, and you can anchor that into your heart, you will be able to rejoice when times are good, and you will be able to rejoice when times are hard. And it's going to lead us to the second command. God commands us to pray without ceasing. Now, I won't spend a whole lot of time on this one because this one, uh, it's going to bridge us right straight back into the third one. But let me just say this, okay? Let me make a really wild statement for a moment. If we can learn to pray without ceasing, it is the bridge to rejoice always and to give thanks in all circumstances. Let me bring that from the other direction. We will not be able to give thanks in all circumstances or rejoice always if we do not learn to pray without ceasing. This is the fulcrum. This is the bridge. This is the one, the prime mover of the other two. This is so utterly important that it's going to spring us into the third point in just a moment. God commands us to pray without ceasing. Now, what does that look like? Well, in your mind, now listen, everybody look at me for a moment. In your mind, if you're thinking of a monk in some stone floor, stone-walled Himalayan mountain chapel, monastery, on his knees, hours a day. That's not what it looks like. Oh, you can do that. 
And in fact, James, who wrote the book of James, the letter of James, was called the camel need James. You know why? Because he was praying, tradition says, so much on his knees that his knees became hardened like calluses, but bone growths, so that he walked funny. He was called camel need James. So yes, you can pray continuously, but that's really not what God has in mind to be constantly in a kneeling position all day Do it if you want. I think that'd be awesome. But what it really is, is a heart tuned to the channel of God. It's a heart tuned to the channel of God who thinks of God all throughout the day, therefore hears from God all throughout the day. See, if you want to hear from God, then your heart needs to be attuned to God. Now, I don't know how many of you love the Word FM. I enjoy listening to it. You can find it around here on 88.7 and 88.9. And you're driving along and you're getting the songs and the good Christian music's playing. And all of a sudden, 300 feet down the road, here comes the static. And you got to move it to 88.9. And then you're good for another 400 feet. And then you got to put it back to 88.7. Listen, friends, that is one of the best illustrations I know of what it's like living the Christian life. You go along, you're praying, and you're living your Christian life, and all of a sudden, the static from the world, confusion, temptation, difficulty, despair, hopelessness, static, comes into your life. You got to retune. You got to put it on the right channel, because you're not hearing from God. You're hearing from the world's voices, but you're not hearing from God's voice. You got to retune. Well, how do you retune your, the channel? It's prayer. It's when you look forward to checking in with God. And you want to run ideas by God and you want to hear from God and there's a longing that grows when you're not talking to God for a while. If you're not listening to God for a while, you you kind of get that longing. You see, to pray without ceasing is to have a flow of spiritual text messages going back and forth from you to God, God to you, you to God, God to you throughout the entire day. And when your heart is rejoicing, those messages you send almost never are requests. Haven't you ever noticed that? I will tell you one of the secrets and one of the signs that you are growing spiritually in the Lord. When you pray, you're not really asking for nearly as much as you used to. Because really what your heart is longing for is just to be in the presence of God. Now, that doesn't mean requests are bad. You you have not because you ask not. Does not the Bible say that? Lay your requests before God. But I will tell you, when you're becoming more spiritually mature, your requests that you do lay before before God are less and less for you and more and more for other people. Because the entire antenna of your heart is tuning into God in a way that you have not done so before. A rejoicing heart sets your mind at ease 
and the peace of Christ. It frees you to enjoy being in his presence through prayer. All right, now we've looked at two commands. I've only got one more, but then I'm gonna give you the whole secret to make this work, okay? We've looked at the first one, rejoice always, and then the second one, pray without ceasing. Now let's get to the third one, and we're gonna really see how this works. God's commands, God, God commands us rather to give thanks in all circumstances. Give thanks in all circumstances. Now let me tell you a little secret. And by the way, I have verified that this is actually true and authentic because I've tried to do this and it won't work. You cannot at the same time have both a complaining and a thankful heart. It's literally impossible. Now let's be honest, some of us complain crazy amount. Some of us, it's almost all you do is complain. You're a grumbler, you're a complainer. Let me tell you a little secret that maybe you don't know. Every complainer is at war with God because they're accusing him of wrongdoing. Oh, you may not be saying those words, but that's exactly what you're doing. And that's exactly what God said to the group in Israel that was complaining. Moses, they're complaining about me. Every complaint in your life is ultimately vertical because you're not trusting or I'm not trusting that God is absolutely sovereign. He's allowing this for a reason and it's for your highest good, but we don't like it. And so we expend our energy complaining about it. Meanwhile, you are in a war with God that you cannot possibly win. You cannot at the same time have both a complaining heart and a thankful heart. Every complaint is an accusation to God. Friends, that is not a way to live. And when we rejoice always and maintain conversation with God through the day, we will give thanks in all circumstances. Let me tell you how it works. I'll give you one of the most extreme illustrations I know. Corey Ten Boone. She was, she's a writer, she's passed, I think, but she's a writer and a speaker, but she was sent, along with her sister Betsy, to a Nazi concentration camp. She was a prisoner there. And her sister, Betsy, who was also there, insisted that 1 Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in all circumstances, was God's will even for them as prisoners in a Nazi concentration camp. But the camp was filthy. And even worse, there were fleas everywhere. Give thanks for the fleas, Corey, Betsy would say. But giving thanks in a flea-infested place seemed unrealistic to Corey until she realized one day why the guards never came into their barracks when they would pray and they would sing and they would worship. It's because they avoided the fleas. So the prisoners were free to worship and study the Bible because God allowed fleas to infest their camp. Two weeks ago, a friend of mine told me we're all, I'm in a group bicycle ride and we're riding up in uh, Bushkill Township area and he told me while we're riding up this hill, 
He's in, he's in much better shape than me. I just listened. I couldn't breathe and pedal at the same time. He could do all of that. He told me, hey, Tim, he says, I'm really thankful that I got COVID last year. I said, are you kidding me? Are you seriously thankful? You almost died. I heard you were one step away from a ventilator. I heard the doctors didn't think you were going to make it. He goes, oh, yeah, that's all, all that's true. He says, but I got to tell you something. It was because of COVID that the doctors discovered I've got cancer and it was raging through my body. And next week I've got surgery to remove it. I had no symptoms. I had no idea I had cancer. It was COVID that brought me the information, uncovered the reality that I have cancer. So he was thankful for COVID. Now look and notice that Paul didn't say, this is really important. He didn't say give thanks for all circumstances. We are to give thanks for the devil. We're not to give thanks for rebellious children. We're not to give thanks for people having sex before marriage. We're not to give thanks for a loss of a job. We are to give thanks not for all circumstances, but in all circumstances, because we know that our good, trustworthy, sovereign, loving God is at work. It's an attitude that results in joyful living that is anchored by constant prayer. You see, a thankful Christian is convinced that God is sovereign and good, even in difficult times. So let me ask you, are you persuaded of that? Now, don't answer that too quickly. Are you truly persuaded that everything God gives you or does not give you, allows for you or does not allow for you, is for your highest happiness and deepest joy. I have a 30-something-year-old man who I deeply love, who is a, an alcoholic, who I really don't know if he's going to keep living. Blew his knee out at college. He was a star wrestler crushed his dreams. He's been mad and angry at God ever since, and his life has gone down into a pit of hell on earth. See, he lost the ability to give thanks in all circumstances. If God has not given you something or not allowed you to have something or do something, you could not be happier if you had it. No good thing does God withhold from those who walk uprightly. George Mueller, one of my heroes of the faith, he was a pioneer orphanage leader. He started an orphanage in London, or in England. I'm not sure if it was London, but he understood this and it endured him. His beloved wife of 39 years was dying from rheumatic fever. 39 years she's dying, and he wrote, and I'm going to quote to you his words, if it is really good for me, my darling wife will be raised up again, sick as she is. God will restore her again. But if she is not restored again, then it would not be a good thing for me. And so my heart was at rest. I was satisfied with God. That's how George Mueller got to rejoicing always praying without ceasing, and giving thanks and even in his wife's death. She died from rheumatic fever. 
He learned how to rejoice, pray, and give thanks because he was persuaded God would not withhold anything for his highest good. Friends, are you convinced of that? Until you are, you're going to complain. Until you are, you're going to grumble, and you're going to be at war with God, and you're going to be accusing God. You're withholding from me. My life would be happier if I had this. And God is all the while saying, no. Trust me. Trust me. I know what will bring you your highest good. All right, now, that was all the fun part of the message. At least it was for me. How do we do this? How do we do this? Now, if you really haven't listened to much so far, you know, I can, it's actually okay. That's excusable. But now you got to listen because if you're going to actually obey God and rejoice always and pray continually and give thanks in all circumstances, you've got to be asking yourself, how is it possible? How can we do this? And the key is an incredibly insignificant two-letter word in verse 18. Look at it with me. In Christ Jesus. Now, let me unpack this. Everybody, listen, listen, listen. This is the key to it all. The most common term, I don't know if you know this, the most common term For a believer in the New Testament is not the word Christian. Did you know that? It only occurs three times in the entire Bible. That's not the most common term for a Christian. The most common is rather a title of two words, in Christ. It is all through the New Testament. That is by far what you called people in the early church. Are you in Christ? Not, are you a Christian? Because everybody today, by the way, says they're a Christian, or at least a lot of people. And then you really begin to examine what they believe, and you realize, well, man, wait a minute. They're, they're as far away from being a Christian as you can be. But you can't really reinterpret what it means to be in Christ. It is clear. But what does it mean to be in Christ? Well, we use the word in to explain, I'm in a good place right now. Or she is part of the in crowd. See, the word in here in this text, in verse 18, describes where you are right now and where you are at rest. You're not moving. That's what the word in means, right? You think it's so insignificant. It's just a filler word. It, It means so much. In fact, I can bring it out a little bit from Galatians chapter 2. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So Christian, here's what it means. And by the way, this is the secret of how do you live these three commands. By faith, you are in Christ Jesus and Jesus Christ is in you through the Holy Spirit. He is working to change you from the inside out. Well, I had one of those little headlamps today. I was working on a car and I put three new AAA batteries in it. 
and I wasn't paying very good attention. I put one of the batteries in backwards. I sealed it back up and went to turn it on. No light whatsoever. Had to take it back apart, flip that one battery around, and there's the light. You know what the power is, Christian? It is Christ in you by the Holy Spirit. That's a key to everything when it comes to living the way that God wants. But you're saying right now, I think, at least some of you, oh my goodness, what does that actually mean? All right, let me give you a couple of illustrations. And I've offered this one before, but some of you are new, so let me say it again. Imagine a woman who is so poor today that she cannot even buy food for herself. She's so poor, she does not even have enough money to buy a meal. But then tomorrow, she is so rich that she eats at her own restaurant that she bought. What made the difference? From one day to the other, from being so poor and now wealthy, was she married a wealthy restaurant owner? See, the day before she had nothing, but now through marriage, because she was in marriage, what belonged to her husband now legally belongs to her. Christian, you got to get this. If you don't grasp this, you will not have power in your Christian life. The moment you trust in Jesus for salvation, he and you were joined seamlessly he is now in you and with you. You are in him and with him forever. All of his riches belong to you. His power belongs to you. His goodness is yours. His perfection is yours. His love is yours. All of what Christ has, you now have, and he's giving it to you at the deepest part of your being by the Spirit of God. He's doing more than just influencing you. He's exerting his mighty power. He's changing you to love like him, to be patient like him, to have his self-control, his gentleness, so that you rejoice always like Jesus, you pray continuously like Jesus, and you give thanks in all circumstances because Jesus knew his heavenly Father loved him. He knew his Father is on the throne at all times. This is a key to it all. Well, I told you I'd give you two illustrations. Here's another one I've given you before, but I think it works well to understand this. Do you remember me telling you that the home that I grew up in, in central New York, we had a well that tapped down into sulfur water. We wouldn't drink it. We showered in it, but we wouldn't drink it. So we were always getting water from another source outside of our home, outside of our property. Here's what my job was growing up, and at least when I got older, I would get in the car, I would take all of our empty jugs, I would go five miles away to a town called Quaker Basin, back road near a state park, and somebody had drilled a pipe right into the side of a hill and pouring out of that pipe was spring water, and it's some of the best water I have ever had in my entire life. That pipe, now listen, that pipe is not the source of the water. It's merely the channel through which the water flows. Well, what's the source, what's the pipe, rather, that drills you into Jesus? It's your faith. And coming out of your life and coming into your life 
through that faith is living water and hope and power. God's desires are flowing into your hearts. So you begin to want what God wants more tomorrow than you did yesterday. And you hate what God hates. Listen, if you're not tomorrow different than yesterday or in a year different from last year, you really seriously need to consider, maybe I'm not a Christian because you've got Christ living in you through the Holy Spirit and he is exerting his mighty influence to make you more like Jesus if you are saved. So what is the will of God for your life? Super simple. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Is it possible to live this way? Yes, because you are in Christ Jesus. If you are a Christian and he is in you by the Holy Spirit, he is pouring into you his rejoicing heart, his continually praying heart, his thankful heart in all circumstances. So this Thanksgiving day coming up in just a less than five days and beyond, you can be full of joy, Christian. You can pray throughout the day. You can retune your channel. Think often of God. You can give thanks even for the flea in all circumstances. Why? Because God is good. God is in control. God is in you, Christian, by the Spirit of God, and he is exerting his mighty power so that you live like Jesus. Now, I am really, really close to being done. What do you do with this message? Well, let me give you a few takeaways, possibly, and everybody needs to probably do this. I, I think you really should. Examine your heart for a moment. Just examine yourself. Are you truly more like Jesus today than you were a year ago? I mean, there is no fixed, constant rate, right? If you turn a faucet on and you fill up 10 buckets, it's at the same rate for each bucket. That's not how it works in the Christian life. But you ought to be filling up. That's a sign, the evidence that Christ is in you. Are you different today? Are you more like Jesus today than you were a year ago? If not, now be honest, if not, then have the boldness to say to your soul, I don't think I believe. Because if you believe, that Jesus Christ died on the cross, was buried, and rose again. And by the way, probably everybody in here so far, yeah, I believe that. Oh, wait a minute. If you believe, if you submit to him as your Lord and Savior, saying, my life is yours, do with it what you will, that's belief. That's belief. And here's what's going to happen instantly. You are brought into the family of God and the spirit of God comes down into your heart and he is working with the same power. Listen, the same power that he created the universe is working in your life. If he could create universes millions of light years away, how hard do you think it really is to free you from an addiction, 
to give you holy desires, to overcome habits that are robbing you of joy. It's really not very difficult at all for God. But are you walking with him? It's the word of God going into your heart. Are you reading and studying, retuning your channel so that you can hear God speak? And are you seeking by the grace of God and the very power that he is exerting in you to rejoice always, to give thanks in all circumstances? How? Because you are praying without ceasing and your heavenly father will not let anything into your life that does not come through his hands and it will be for your highest good even if they're fleas. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Lord, we confess, I'm confessing, Lord, we tend to be a complaining people. Lord, you actually hate that. Because every complaint is an accusation that you're not good, that you're not powerful, that you don't love us. It's an accusation that we're not willing to submit to you. But Lord, the true Christian learns to trust and believe in Jesus, our Lord and Savior, which is what Christ Jesus even means. Christ is our Lord, and Jesus means Savior. There's a very good reason why Paul wrote, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. You are our Lord and Savior, and may we trust in you. May we believe and may your power work in us. Let us be different than the world. Let us be the redeemed that rejoices always, prays without ceasing, it gives thanks in all circumstances. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.